Welcome to another edition of Tech Check with Kay and the Citizen Crew. We are changing things up a bit in the studio this week. We will have Control Robotics Chief Technology Officer Nikhil Ronshot joining us. Now, Nikhil has a background in mechanical engineering, specializing in control systems engineering. He's here to chat about all things AI, automation, coding, and robotics in the commercial space. Say hello, Nikhil. Hi. Hi, welcome. So tell us more about yourself and Control Robotics and what you do in the commercial workspace. Sure, myself, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> I'm an engineer, I like making things and I did engineering at WIT, but I've always wanted to go out on my own and do my own thing. So I took some of the knowledge that I had from WIT and we were basically consulting out onto the market uh, to get jobs in you know, automation and trying to apply artificial intelligence to any system or any business logic that we could. And then we were hired to do the Hotel Sky project and that was a robotics project. So through that consulting job, I learned that it's quite an expensive of experience to put robots in a business. Mm. Um, so we decided to turn that into its own business and uh, build a product out to kind of become a catalyst for a whole industry around the world. And I think South Africa definitely needs more of that. We don't have enough robotics specialists in the field and there's so much improvement we could do in that space. You've been in this field for quite some time. Can you tell us about the rate at which AI and robotics technology is growing in the commercial space in South Africa? I think in South Africa it is growing but we we are very uh, finance heavy country. So I was scrolling through LinkedIn this morning trying to find talent to hire and it's like BSc engineering, chemical, mechanical, whatever and then they're working at FNB or they're working at some of the banks or consulting companies that consult to the bank. So in South Africa, a lot of the innovation and then the approaches using AI would go straight to the finance industry. That's where we at. But obviously, we need to bolster manufacturing and use automation to get ahead in, in industry and hard industry. So I think that's where we're lacking because of the amount of companies that you could go work for after graduating, etc. And how does that compare to global markets? I haven't really explored global markets as such, but I know there's sufficient uh, companies around the world in my industry, which is robotics as a service. I can't really speak to how the economies react to, you know, the, the types of robotics that are coming out because it's it's such a new industry and it's so young. But definitely, if you look into first world countries, their markets are ripe for disruption with automation. And if you look at growth trajectories of number of robots in businesses, I think it's forecasted to like threefold every year, you know, for the, mm. for the next five years. So I'm sure uh, the uptake will be there and the market's already crying for, for cheaper labor. So yeah, it's definitely going to work out. Overseas. And that's one of the areas where robotics can come in quite useful is the labor issue we have in South Africa. What are some of the most complex projects you've worked on specifically for South African companies? Hotel Sky was very complex because we had to take a robot with no SDK features and stuff and then make them go into lifts. So we had to build hardware to control lifts, uh, Mitsubishi electric lifts. And we've done it with a few different companies. So that that's pretty complicated to get a, a robot to do room service. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, because it's got to like know which room to go to and which floor. And there's and a the, lot of... And the do not disturb signs on the doors. <laughs> well, we couldn't read those. I mean, that, that would require a neural network and that, that's more complicated. But that was pretty complicated. And then I think uh, the hospital was quite complicated because to find a use case, to go and find where you're going to add that value to this, this business, sure, we can move packages from A to B, but where do we go to to look for this value in, in the hospital? So we had to dig through a lot of data and get a lot of uh, interviews done. So it wasn't like technically complex in that sense, but in terms of commercial viability, it was hard to find where you're going to find value for these businesses. 
I'm sure that's challenging, especially with all of the other issues we are dealing with in South Africa in the service industries. Uh, how are robotics changing jobs or how are they, let me rephrase, how are they making our jobs easier? And I basically just want to touch on the idea of why people should stop worrying that robots are coming to take our jobs because we know that's not the case. But there's still that fear that the more robots we bring into the country, they're going to take our jobs in the end. What do we say to people who yeah. are worried about that? My favorite example is like the ATM because before we used to have bank tellers and that's a big industry and it still exists, right? But mm. now you don't go to the teller at the bank just for to get money or to move money in and out of your account in terms of cash. You're going there to request for Forex. You're going there to ask about certain products in their, their product lines. You're going and doing a lot different work, better work that you'd rather speak to someone for or use the true value of a person instead of just going and counting money, right? And giving you money. So robots are tailored to very specific tasks. For example, in the hospital to move move an object from uh, the pharmacy to a ward. That is work that people should not be doing. I mean, having someone employed to walk 20 kilometers a day seems inhumane to me. It so if, if you want to look at jobs, I mean, I swept a warehouse last week with one of the guys we work with and it took us an hour to sweep the same area. It took our robot, I think, uh, nine minutes to, to cover. Wow. Nine. Yeah. Nine wow. Minutes. Nine minutes. So, I mean, yes. you can have someone sweeping, but my back was finished seemed quite inhumane I was breathing in all that dust so if you're scared of these things you, you're probably not looking at the humanity in like using technology yes you know? I like that the humanity mm -hmm. in, in technology that's nice and I also see that your robots are no code meaning you don't have to be a programmer to use it can you help us understand that concept a bit yeah better? so no code interfaces is like a very new I don't know if it's very new actually it's a design philosophy for software where you take very complex interactions with backend and you try and abstract them to very simple guided user interfaces for mm -hmm. uh, setting up programs and setting up any automation that you'd like to go about a good example is like Wix or Flow as a and no code Notion. and Notion uh, yes. Notion's more like a fancy fancy Google Sheets yes but but you don't need to understand how databases work in no, order to no. create one exactly Exactly. That's so that, that's a good example of a no-code interface, actually. Right. Um, so we're just trying to make the setup of these robots very easy. So you get a robot in, you know the brand of it, you just put its ID in. Then all of the back-end software, all of the uh, API interfaces, developer kit interfaces are already programmed by us and ready on the cloud for you to just say, uh, this is user X, user X needs to interact with robot Y in a certain way. What are those relationships? You just add your lift, drop your lift configuration in. What type of lift do you have? Have, you know, and all of that information is then integrated into the backend to optimize your whole system and run your whole system with like hardware in the loop optimization, which is a backend algorithms that are just constantly checking for what's the best way to fulfill tasks. Mm. That is quite impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, what type of future applications could we expect from robots and how could it potentially change South Africa's hospital crisis? The first question was, what could we see coming up? I think there's a lot of commercially available robots that we can use. We just need to find the use cases, like I mentioned before, looking for good commercial use cases. So definitely manipulators, which is robot arms moving objects in a small space, uh, delivery robots, which is delivering objects from A to B prevalent, will be very prevalent. Uh, inspection uh, in terms of drones and quadruped robots is going to be big. And security, security robots, uh, floor cleaning is going to 
be very, very prevalent. These are four industries that from my research and basically all of the market analysis that I've done, this is the four industries that I think are the most viable for us to see within the next uh, two to three years. After that, you've got very specialist things like uh, surgical robots for theaters, etc. But that requires a lot of intense development and, and testing to, to make commercially viable. So we, we try to not stay in things that very technically complex and regulate. Mm-hmm. So so you promise us there's no Skynet just yet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what Skynet is. Like people are like, oh, you're building Skynet. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Like I, I'm not a big movie buff. So I don't know if my gasp was loud enough yeah. for my gasp to be picked up there. But you want to take it, so, Skynet. Yeah, Skynet is the, the AI that took over the world in the Terminator. So an artificial general intelligence, basically yes. something AGI. that is, yeah, is as smart as a human. A uh, long shot. <laughs> Long shot, from what I know. Yeah. Rocco's Basilisk, the theory that when AGI eventually comes to power and it absorbs all data, it will know who helped it rise and uh, who was against it. I'm good. I'm good. So I'm, I'm, I want the robots to know when they listen to this in the future that I'm all for our robotic overlords. <laughs> That's one way to not get at eliminated. Least, yeah. There we go. That's at, least exactly a, at least there's a data, ba- data point now for you. Exactly. System. So oh, my yeah. future secure, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from all the technical stuff, Davina has a business-related question for you. Okay. So generally speaking, before blue chip companies invest in new robots or automation, there is a CapEx or OPEX, right? Yeah, OPEX and CapEx. <laughs> okay, cool. So for new investments, you just need to justify the cost through a fairly a viable ROI. Because, I mean, let's be real here. Uh, at the end of the day, engineers still answer to accountants, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. So how are you going about doing this when you are up against uh, worker salary plus upscaling of those workers? Those costs you have plus implementation costs. And then there's training, time off the job and introducing new automation, it isn't always welcome for the downtime that comes with it, especially not in South Africa. How are you changing, how are you working, sorry, to change this archaic mindset to try to get companies to see what you're doing? Yeah, so we put our skin in the game. We do free pilot. So all of the clients we've piloted with uh, thus far, we put our own money on the line and buy these robots, show that they work first. And then once we've shown a return on investment, do we ask for money in return. You're looking for use cases that are 10x better. I mean, sweeping the floor, taking one hour versus nine minutes, 6x already, adding in all of the data that you can absorb from the system for your logs and for standards of warehouses, etc. That's already another few fold that you're improving the system. So you're looking at overall minimum 10x improvement on the system, and then you know you're justified. Like then the labor costs become such that even though you're retaining your original staff complement, you're getting so much value and efficiency out of the system that you're not even looking to reduce your staff complement because we're retooling your staff to work with the automation. We're just trying to integrate as quickly as possible. And then you had a second part of that question or maybe third part of that question that's asked, how do we prevent downtime? We don't have any downtime. That's why our staff work with and at our clients, our staff sit at our clients because we're integrating as we're moving. So you're going about your day, we're learning about you, we're learning about what you do, what's your job, and we're building our software to tailor to your job and make your job easier. So there's no downtime because we pay for the pilots so there's no upfront uh, cost on that uh, proving that it works and then it's up to us to make it work better for you in the time that you have without wasting any of your time that's actually a brilliant strategy Mm. Lyle you look very thrilled with this whole conversation so Lyle is a dad and he's often bombarded with robotic and coding homework that his kids bring home from school so naturally he has some general stuff on robotics and automation that he wants to ask you Lyle over to you 
So one of the simplest forms of AI that I have seen recently is the chatbot, mm. which replaces traditional humans by answering WhatsApp messages with automated responses. The problem with this, though, is that it, it's it's not really tailored to your needs. It's more of a predefined list of questions. How can this be improved to make the experience feel more personal? That's a, That was a cool question when I read it because we actually solved that at Control. So at Hotel Sky, you're using a Google product and it basically sets up your whole chatbot backend with the natural language processing and takes in your inputs and your outputs. So you give a question or three ways of asking a question uh, to the AI or to, to the model and then it, you train uh, an answer for that three different ways of asking that question. So it allows you to like skirt around or you have different versions of asking the same question and getting the same answer out, right? Mm. But that's on a single train of thought. So you only have what you've programmed in is what you're going to get out and nothing different from the system. What we then did was to say, okay, if you ask the system a question and it doesn't have an answer for it, flag that question and get a human in the loop. So now we put a person in there who's looking at all of these unanswered questions, literally called unanswered questions on the Hotel Sky system. And you can go in and, oh, that's a question. Okay, let me find a way of asking that same question twice or three times and then put an answer for that question in the system. So it's it's trained. So whatever people are asking of the hotel, people are asking of that environment, uh, you have answers coming through and it's constantly uh, updating and you have that information of what are we missing from our systems? Wow, that's really interesting stuff. This is just more of a general question. What's the difference between machine learning and AI? Is there know. a distinct difference or is it the same thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even say AI that often. I think it's quite a colloquial term. And it's a buzzword. Everybody's it's a using it buzzword, today. Very buzzwordy. Um, you have different types of machine learning models. Uh, you have like recursive learning models and you have, you have different algorithms. And I think someone just said, okay, uh, computers became fast enough to run these algorithms really quickly and it kind of looks like diligent thought in there so let's call it artificial intelligence because people have been waiting for this for years so I think they just applied this group of algorithms and then assigned it to the colloquial term I think machine learning is a way more accurate term yeah it's artificial training. intelligence what we do that today sounds Hollywood it does yeah. Yeah. yes exactly that's <laughs> machine learning concept. makes sense because you're training a machine yes to learn patterns in a data set and then give you answers based on the patterns it learns so yeah I think machine learning is actually the term we should mm. Hollywood just wants to scare us all. Does learning coding and robotics offer any benefits to the older generation? Our kids are learning it in school, so they already have an understanding of how to code and using Scratch and Steam. But for those of us who already have ancient qualifications, can coding be beneficial to us? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think the barrier to entry is high because you got to have like free food, uh, free uh, lodging, <laughs> you know, all that free stuff for like a year. And then we can we can start playing, you know, then we can mm. start building stuff and being active. So if you've got, if you can get over that barrier to entry, come join us. I'll even hire you. We'll be good. But if you can't, I think finding products and finding no-code interfaces like that we build or, or just keeping yourself up to date with what are the new products on the market? How do these things work? How can it benefit my current job? And then looking at how you can augment your job with all of these products that people who do code want to build for you. Because I don't think everything in life should be you should code. I think you should be able to get proficiency in a product like Photoshop or, you know, all of these other great products that are out there so that you can augment your current job. Like if you're a lawyer with graphics design skills, maybe you can go and take two industry, different industry domains, loop them together. together. And then you've got a unique, value proposition to sell on the market and to provide innovation for. So don't think about coding, think about software.
They had a documentary with AlphaGo, all the stuff that they were doing with chess as well. Yeah. So can you just give me your opinion on where that sort of headed? You know what I mean? I got you. Are you referring to the fact that machines might get better than humans at playing the games that humans invented? Well, they they already they better than us already. What they do with chess that I find really fascinating is that they have a tournament. So hmm. there's many different companies that come together with their own software and then they play each other. Yeah. Yeah. I find that super fascinating. I think if you use com- Competition to spur innovation, that's the best way of doing it. So to come to games and then use games as a platform to optimize algorithms and find new methods to to win, then that's what it's about. I mean, a lot of engineers are not driven by money. I mean, money can buy you stuff, you can buy whatever you want, but how much are you going to buy? It gets boring. So these people are driven by innovation, doing something that has never been done before. And so to bring people together to compete on a platform like that, it really gets innovation going and it gets people pushing to, to become the best and to win, you know. I find it really fascinating. Have you seen the AlphaGo documentary, Cheryl? Not yet. It's on my list. You should go check it out. I will definitely. Okay. <laughs> fascinating stuff. Definitely given us something to think about. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. We've been mind blown <laughs> and you've given us a lot to chew on. Uh, we definitely need to do a catch up again as soon as you are back from your trip. Yeah, thanks. That'll be good. That's it from myself and the Citizen Crew on the Tech Check with K podcast. Till next time. Bye. 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 Bye.